Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. My name is Hunter, but this is our quest. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. I am your host, and yes, my name is Hunter. And on today's episode, I get to sit down and catch up with Nathan Killen, who is a fellow Virginian like myself and a guy that's really developed a reputation as of late uh, of being an expert when it comes to killing big, mature mountain whitetails. But Nathan has a really great sense of adventure, and he really attacks it uh, in a cool way, in a kind of unique way. He uh, he goes about it almost like a Western hunt. You know, he goes out on these uh, multi-day backpack-style hunts, which is something I love to do, and it's something that's you know very accessible uh, if you're a new hunter out here on the East Coast or um, or just new to backpack style hunting and you're not ready to jump into the Western tag game. Um, you know, if you live in the East, you can easily get whitetail tags and um, hit some national forests and just have an awesome adventure. So this episode has some great information in it, no matter where you live or, you know, what phase of the hunting kind of journey you're in. We have a really cool conversation. We talk about faith and his journey as a hunter and, of course, killing mountain whitetails. So lastly, I do want to mention, if you get a minute, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave me a rating and a review and uh, that's really helpful and helps me to continue bringing you this good content and uh, also if you have questions or comments or guests you'd like to hear you can drop me a line anytime on instagram at hunters quest underscore or just shoot me an email to hunter at this is hunters quest.com all right guys that's it so i hope you enjoy the episode and let's just uh jump right in All the listeners out there, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. I'm here with another fellow Virginia boy, Nathan Killen, and a guy who's been on a lot of podcasts lately, um, getting some notoriety as being kind of a an expert on killing big mountain deer um, in the eastern part of the United States over here. And uh, Nathan, thanks again for coming on, man. Um, I appreciate your time today. Yeah, appreciate you uh, inviting me. I tell you. Um, you're you're pretty lucky because I've been turning them down. Uh, matter of fact, I've turned one down. Well, see, I've turned down uh, East Meets West uh, here recently. Um, uh, shoot, the Wired to Hunt um, and two others, uh, small ones. But uh, I don't know. I just felt like that uh, I wanted to talk to you. So. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, um, you know, I want to dive into some stuff that you know hasn't been hit much on most of the podcasts you've been on i think i've listened to a lot of them yeah. there's some good stuff on there but i kind of want to you know hit it from a little bit different angle so kind of how i found you was i wanted to, i started wanting to get into backpack hunting or you know um mountain hunting and um you know you can't just always just pick up and go out to colorado or wyoming or something you know, so, but I knew there's lots of, uh, you know, lots of public land out in the western part of the state. And I just kind of got the call of the wild and I, you know, called up my cousin and said, hey, let's go out in the mountains and do some hunting. And, um, and so I started looking for, 
Um, you know, I'm used to hunting deer in the, you know, in the farmland and that kind of stuff where you know where they're sleeping, you know where they're eating and you just kind of get in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of info out there about killing mountain deer, um, especially in the Eastern part of the United States. And, um, so I started, you know, digging around and looking around and I came across a couple of podcasts you did and I looked at your Instagram and I was like, Oh man, this guy's, this guy's hunting like Western style, like getting the backpack out and getting in deep. And, um, and I was like, man, I need to talk to this guy and then found out you're a believer as well. So I was like, all the better, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love being out in God's creation. You know, uh, it's, it's beautiful and, uh, I just can't imagine not wanting to be there. So. Yeah, man. I, I was just listening to one uh, podcast today that you did. Um, and you're talking a little bit about growing up and just kind of that being obsessed with deer. I was kind of the same way. Yeah. I've, uh, I've kind of been obsessed with the uh, white tails, you know, since I was really, really young. And, uh, <clears throat> it's funny, you know, uh, looking back now and, you know, we had North American whitetail and, uh, you know, Field and Stream, uh, you know, magazines like that. And I, I really enjoyed looking at those magazines. And there was, uh, you know, most of the guys that you've seen in those magazines were like the Benoit, you know, up in, uh, in the northeastern part of the United States. And they would have their plaid on with, and, or suspenders, uh, you know, stuff like that. And I would, you know, I was, I was just like six, seven years old, eight, somewhere through there. And, uh, I took, uh, and of course I have my plaid shirt on and, and my BB gun and I had taken one of my mom's, uh, belts and made me a pair of suspenders. You know, I, I was wanting to look <laughs> like those guys I saw in the magazine. So, yeah, man, I think another one you were talking about, you were, um, building tree stands to rabbit hunt in your backyard. I, I was just going to say, I grew up on my grandfather's farm. He had about, <clears throat> I think it's 86 acres or something like that. And uh, I built tree stands all over that place. And actually, whenever he wanted to go looking for one of his tools, he would just go looking for one of my tree stands because his tool, like his hammer or hatchet, was probably laying at the bottom of it. (laughs) That's awesome. I used to do the same thing. I had a, um, you know, when that bug bit me, I had a a tree stand in my backyard. I I lived in like a neighborhood, though. But I had a tree stand in my backyard um, luckily there was some marsh behind our house, so I wasn't like, you know, shooting the neighbor's yard, but I had a tree stand for practicing my bow. And I remember in the summers, I would wake up at like six and just sit in that thing in full camo for oh, squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the foundation there, you know, uh, starting out. So you gotta, yeah, man. Gotta hunt something. Yeah. You said you're, you're near Lebanon, Virginia. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm just, uh, just a few minutes outside of Lebanon. Yeah, uh, right okay. to the Clinch Mountain. Okay, so I went to I went to school at Virginia Tech. I did a little hunting out there. Um, Craig Creek was the area that was called, and um, this year I did like a little solo trip with my first time going solo, and we I did that in Augusta. So yeah, man, I think you had a pretty. I was just watching on Instagram. It looks like you got you got your buck this year. And it looks like your wife got one too, huh? Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, you know, the season started out very, very slow. And actually, the buck that I killed wasn't one that I was targeting. But uh, I I had several uh, really big deer on camera. And by the time season got here, only one of them was uh, actually still around. The others, I have no idea where they went to, but they weren't there. <clears throat> and uh, But this buck showed up 
in November, and uh, but still he wasn't one that I was really interested in taking. And I, I just kept hunting and hoping that those other bigger ones would show up. They never did. So, uh, you know, the, the saying that yeah. it's better to take the bird that's in the hand than the five that's in the bush. <laughs> I never did see yeah. the five in the bush. <laughs> yeah. So you'd seen that deer a couple of times before you decided to pull the trigger on him? No, I, I had never seen him, no. But uh, I knew, okay. you know, it, it was December and uh, or by that time, and I knew if I seen him that I was going to take him. So not that he wasn't a nice deer. He just wasn't one of the big ones, you know. So. Right. Was that one on one of your kind of backpack-style hunts, or was it just a day hunt, or how, how did that go down? <clears throat> it, it was in one of the areas that I backpack into, but it was just a day hunt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you do that, are you staying on the stand pretty much all day? Or are you going out for a morning or an evening, or does it just kind of depend on what you got time for? Uh, well, it, if I hunt up that area, I'm, I have to hunt all day anyway. Uh, it just depends on you know what I feel like the deer are doing and uh, the weather, and uh, you know just a lot of things uh, contribute to me making the decision. You know whether I'm going to hunt all day or not. So yeah, this particular spot, uh, it depends on which way I come in because. Depending on which way the wind uh, is blowing and where I'm hunting, also, uh, but uh, I'll come in one of two ways. One way is a lot longer than the other; it's a little over two hours, and uh, the other way is uh, a little over an hour. So, <clears throat> that's yeah. intense. So, I mean, you probably know your route pretty good in there, so you're not crashing through and like getting stuck in brush, huh? Oh no, <laughs> I, I've actually got uh, a trail cut through uh, to where I'm okay. going. Through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm very. That's nice, man. Okay, so um, yeah, just just to back it up a little bit, so um, just tell me a a little bit about how you kind of got started in the outdoors and all that. Well, that would be uh, with my dad, of course, and uh, a fellow named Eugene Belcher. Of course, you know, whenever I was younger, my dad would take me squirrel hunting, and uh, I still remember the first squirrel that I killed, and uh, I remember the first squirrel that he or well the first squirrel that he killed while i was with him i'll say that and um and just you know growing up squirrel hunting uh and shooting birds with a bb gun and uh and chasing oh, yeah. grasshoppers around with a homemade bow uh that uh, my grandfather had made <laughs> for me on the bank behind the house you know so yeah <clears throat> i got into a lot of things back then hunting related so like a lot of kids yeah um so you, you and your dad started hunting together, right? Yeah, that's correct. Kind of started learning it together? Yes, yeah. And yeah. you were into to bow hunting kind of right from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, my first year of hunting was with a 16-gauge shotgun, and I actually killed my first deer on the very first time my dad put me in the woods. And, oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> and then I started bow hunting the next year. So um, I think my bow was a, it's just around a 40-pound Jennings uh, longbow, and the arrows I was shooting was, I think, a, a nineteen sixteen. It was just a really uh, small mm-hmm. diameter, uh, thin wall shaft <laughs> that bent easy. So I went through a lot of uh, arrows back in those days, but uh, yeah, that's that's where oh, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I've been through some arrows. In fact, um, the people who bought the house from my parents that we grew up in. Um, they like every few months they'll be like, because they have kids of their own, and they'll be like, 
yeah, we found another arrow up in this tree or uh, there, we found another arrow back in the marsh. <laughs> they're, like every couple months, they're just finding random arrows from when I lived there growing up. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, so what about um, some like getting saved? Like, did you uh, get saved at a young age or do you have kind of a story there? Or? Yeah, I was uh, 12 years old uh, and actually in revival at uh, my grandfather's church that he pastored <clears throat> you know I, oh I mean, he was a pastor yeah he actually pastored four churches at one time uh, oh my goodness yeah yeah he was a busy man but uh but anyway i just uh you know remember in revival and uh the lord convicted my heart and i gave into it and come to find out earlier that uh or the week before one of my uh buddies was actually in revival and he had put a uh put my name on a prayer request board you know praying for me that i was <laughs> saved and i did not know that you know at that time oh, wow. and, and the following week you know it happened so uh oh man um, that's awesome <clears throat> yeah so you had people praying for me right from the beginning huh oh yeah yeah and my grandfather you know uh uh he you know he he's been he was a, a preacher for as long as i could ever remember you know so you know, we're really, really fortunate whenever we grow up in a uh, Christian family. That, of course, doesn't save us. That, you know, the saving part is is personal. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, it definitely helps whenever you're surrounded by, you know, other Christians and, uh, you know, to uh, point you in the right direction. So, For sure, man. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a like a Baptist church and, you know, going to church camps and all that yeah. stuff. And you know, I talk about my first podcast, I wandered off that like real far, but having that foundation to come back to and come back on, uh, you know, when I grew up, um, was definitely, definitely, uh, awesome. Oh yeah. 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 That, that foundation is, uh, you know, uh, very key and, you know, even through our lives, we still, you know, uh, especially when we're teenagers and, and maybe in our early twenties, we still, you know, like to stray away from uh, uh, what we know yeah. is the right thing to do, but uh, I think that's just part of growing up. And, uh, and so, yeah, but. yeah, I took I took my straying a little bit to the extreme, I think, but <laughs> 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 hopefully people don't have to don't have to do it as much as I did. But uh, um, what kind of what kind of church did your uh, grandfather pastor? Just well, curiosity. It's funny. He actually pastored uh, uh, both Baptist and Methodist. Okay. So, yeah, at one time, you know, but uh, <laughs> around here, uh, you know, Baptist churches and Methodist churches, you know, they're they're really close to the same, so uh, there's not that yeah. much difference. But yeah. I, I go to a uh, independent Baptist now and have been for a long time. Okay, nice man. Do you have any kind of, um, you know? I like to call it like spiritual fitness or like a routine you do to like stay in the word or anything like that. You know, of course, uh, I try to read my Bible, you know, every day. Uh, one of my favorite times is, uh, you know, whenever I first get up in the morning, especially, you know, warm spring or, uh, uh, summer morning before my girls are even out of bed, I'll fix me a cup of coffee and go out on the side deck and sit there and listen to the birds and drink my coffee and, and, you know, read, read, the, read my Bible. So, mm -hmm. But, um, and of course, you know, like most other people, I've got one sitting by my bedside and, you know, I try to read most every night. So, yeah, man, that's cool. I remember, uh, another podcast I heard you were doing, um, 
you're talking about kind of that transition from, um, you know, just killing any deer and then realizing you want to start killing big deer and that whole kind of transformation. How did, how did that kind of go down for you? Well, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like my dad. Uh, he's kind of competitive spirit type and, you know, so, uh, always just striving to do the, the best or as good as you can do, you know? And so whenever I was, you know, growing up, you know, I was killing just average, you know, bucks and the older I got, you know, I, I wanted to challenge myself more. And, uh, and of course, you know, who, who doesn't want a wall full of, uh, big racked bucks, you know? So, yeah. Um, I guess there's a lot of things that contributed, you know, to it, but, um, yeah, I, I think it was just a desire to, to do better. And, uh, and I mentioned, you know, competitive spirit, not that I'm in com- competition with anybody else is, you know, just competition among yourself, you know, and, uh, yeah. striving to do better. So. Is that what you think led you into doing the traditional archery stuff? Just the added challenge of it? <clears throat> no, not really. Um. I think that I just love the uh, simplicity of traditional archery and uh, the beauty of the equipment. You know, it's just, it's so simple that it's beautiful at the same time. And uh, it mm-hmm. just, and of course it adds uh, adventure, you know, to being out in the mountains chasing deer and, and what have you. So, uh, and it, uh, <clears throat> it just, uh, the nature of it, you know, causes you to, uh, have to be closer to your animal you know the game yeah. that you're hunting so you know uh, it, it, i guess it's just all of that combined together so yeah man so when did you start um doing the backpack style hunting because that's something that a lot of eastern guys don't really do um it's kind of unique when did you start that that would have been probably around 2007 to 2008 somewhere through there um me and one of my best friends, he doesn't live close by anymore. Matter of fact, he, he lives in uh, Cody, Wyoming. But me and him oh, nice. uh, done it to, together some. And uh, I guess he, he's actually the one that got me started in it because he done it a little bit before that I did, you know. But um, And then once he moved out there, I kind of quit doing it for a while. And uh, But uh, the past few years, I've, I've started going by myself. So, so yeah. Most of the time, wherever I go, I'm by myself, except for one other fella that, that goes with me or whenever the buddy. <clears throat> yeah. How long do you usually go out when you do those solo hunts? Uh, most of the time, it's just for three days. Yeah. yeah. Man, those solo hunts are, are not easy, man. I did, like I said, I did one uh, this year. It was my first time doing a solo hunt. And I, yeah. like I said, I was up in uh, Augusta County and, you know, found an area hiked in only only about a mile or so but um to where i camped and then you know of course the spot that i've been scouring on the onyx maps for like three months i get in there and it's like so thick you can't even walk through it like literally you cannot walk through it yeah so i had to kind of reevaluate my plan there but uh it's tough man when you're back there by yourself your your mind starts working on you oh it absolutely does The, the more you do it though the uh uh, stuff like that starts going away. So, but uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the mental aspect of it is the hardest part. You know, if you've got Absolutely. good gear, then you can, you know, you can stay comfortable. But, uh, you know, whenever you're up there by yourself, you, 
that you start hearing things and uh, seeing things and your mind plays tricks on you. But uh, after a while, all that goes away. Yeah, man. Like, um, yeah, especially when, you know, you're coming from, you know, hunting over a soybean field and you're used to, you know, seeing 10, 15 deer every time you sit on that field and then you're going out there and you might not see anything for two or three days or something. Yeah. You know, your mind's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That, I think that is, uh, as far as the hunting part of it, that is the uh, toughest part to overcome, you know, is, uh, the lack of, uh, animals that you're going to see and, uh, the lack of activity, you know, you, you've got to really have faith and confidence in your setup to be able to, you know, sit there the amount of time that it, that's required to kill anything, you know, I mean, I've, you know, they've been times that I went in and got it done on the first day, but they've been a lot more times that it's taken me, you know, several times to get it done. So that's yeah. just the nature of it though. Now, do you think that's something that you just got used to being that you grew up in those areas or, um, is it still, do you still find it kind of, kind of challenging when you're not seeing the numbers? Uh, well, you kind of get used to it, but it, it's still challenging, you know, um, and you know, I've hunted out of state some, you know, West Virginia, Ohio, and, uh, just very, very little in Kentucky. And, you know, once you start getting away from these mountains, the, uh, deer population, uh, goes way up compared to, you know, what I'm used to around mm-hmm. here. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of know what it's like on both sides, you know, to I've hunted around food plots before and see 30 and 40 deer in it at one time. But, you know, uh, I guess it's just the expectation, you know, you, you know what your expectations are or, uh, you know, what the, what to expect. And, uh, that, that helps you. Um, yeah why you know back to this backpacking hunting thing like what what draws you into wanting to do that style of hunting well there's a couple of reasons that i do it one is for the adventure of it um yeah and, and the other part of it is because uh you know it's just the access is you know kind of hard you know sometimes whenever i leave my truck you know i'm gaining a thousand foot in elevation to get to where i'm going and then dropping mm-hmm. off the back side a few hundred feet you know and that that's just really hard on you to do, you know, several days in a row. So it just makes more sense to go back in there and uh, camp out for two or three, four days and uh, hunt. That way you're not wearing yourself out. So Yeah. I know you mentioned like with that kind of hunting, like gear is a big thing. Like what, what's some of your favorite pieces of gear, like in terms of like your sleep system and um, I don't know, just stuff that you think is really useful in that style of hunt. Well, uh, you know, your sleeping bag, a sleeping pad, and your shelter are, to me, uh, and of course, a, uh, a water uh, purification or filter uh, is important, too. Uh, but uh, I use a, uh, a zero-degree bag. Uh, actually, the bag that I'm, I'm using, I've had since, you know, uh, the mid-2000s, whenever I first started doing mm-hmm. this. Well, you know, there there's better options out there than what I have as far as a sleeping bag, but, uh, I use a, uh, a climate, uh, static, uh, or a static V insulated static V sleeping pad. And, uh, for staying warm, uh, that sleeping pad is as important as your uh, sleeping bag. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And, uh, in my tent setup, I've got three different options that I use, but my favorite is uh, made by, um, 
mountain smith i think it's the lt tarp uh i okay. really like that thing it, it's it's a, basically a floorless tent you know okay yeah and of so course you're going with the floorless huh yeah yeah i've, I've got a, a one-man uh floor tent that i use during the summer whenever i uh you know go out scouting and stuff and, and backpack you know but um and then i've got a noah kelty a kelty's noah tarp it works good, but uh, I like the uh, Mountain Smith uh, floorless tent option better, you know. Okay. And, uh, was it hard going from an enclosed tent to the floorless thing? Because just something like mentally, I don't know, I, I still want to have like an enclosed space. <laughs> yeah. No, I, to me, it's uh, I, I like it better. You know, the, the only yeah. reason that I could see using a, uh, a floored tent would be during the uh, summer months whenever bugs and creepy crawlies can, you know, get the sleeping bag with you. Oh, yeah. So other than that, if it's going to be cold outside, I would rather have a floor. So, okay. Yeah. Also, I also use a, uh, a bivy sack. Uh, I don't necessarily use it uh, to keep from getting uh, wet because I, I still use my uh, shelter, you know, but it, it really keeps uh, your sleeping bag and your, uh, a sleeping pad together as one because uh you know everything is down in that uh, uh bivy sack and uh yeah. because you know i i move around a lot at night uh, whenever i'm sleeping i'll rotate from i'm a side sleeper uh so i'm constantly moving around on that pad and saying i'll find myself <laughs> off the pad sometimes so that that keeps everything <laughs> together and plus you know if it rains or something other and you get a little bit of uh, water come in under your tent <clears throat> you know that'll That'll keep your stuff dry too. So, yeah. One just like question I had when you do those back, you know, those backcountry style hunts. Um, I know you know scent is is a big deal. Do you do you burn fires? I do. Uh, <clears throat> you know, if you think back to the uh, to the Indians, the Indians would build a fire before their hunt and stand in front of the fire, and uh, a lot of people believe that that was to help control their scent. You know. To help cover, and I and I honestly believe that that does work, you know, because uh, whenever you're burning a fire, you're you're putting the carbon into the air, and uh, so you know if you're standing that smoke stream, it has to pull some some odor off of you. Plus, you know, maybe the the fire or the smoke smell itself also acts as a uh, cover scent or whatever. But you know, I I, I don't have any problems, you know, uh, as far as deer smelling me. But, you know, that just goes back to uh, good woodsmanship in my mind because, you know, you want to walk into where you're hunting uh, in a, a way that your deer aren't crossing your path and you're wanting yeah. to uh, hunt downwind of where your deer are coming from and expecting them to be, you know, where you shoot. So technically, uh, you should be able to stink and uh, still have deer yeah. close by if, you, uh, if your entrance and exit is right and you're hunting the wind right. So, Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. Cause, um, you know, I guess there some people feel like smoke is not good in terms of scent, but like, like you said, I think that it might be more of a natural smell they're used to and having a fire back there, especially if you're solo hunting is like, it's almost like a companion or like it's such oh, a morale booster, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think it's just so much. Camping. I don't think camping, yeah. camping without a fire. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Like, I remember the first night in this last hunt, I was out there alone and like, um, it's just, I don't know. It's just, 
maybe it's just me being not used to it, but it's just kind of creepy sitting there in the you know pitch black, dark, no fire, cold. Like I hear coyotes all around. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's just yeah. kind of creepy. Yeah. And then man, the next I remember on that hunt too. Um, the next morning, I got into my stand, and a coyote started barking at me. Like it sound, I thought it was a dog. Yeah. And it was like, it had to be like 50 yards. Like it was close. And then there like four or five of them joined it and they were barking at me. And I was like, man, I'm glad I'm up a tree right now. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, one of the eeriest times that I've been backpacking was in West Virginia and it had rained uh, a little bit off and on all night. And I had a bear come in and uh, make mm. circles around my tent. And now that, that oh, was, uh, yeah, that, that, give me an uneasy feeling and uh, I, did, I didn't sleep very much that night <laughs> do you ever do any bear hunting not on purpose no i've killed a few <laughs> but uh not, not because i was hunting them yeah well yeah man uh, have you ever heard a coyote bark at you like that like almost sound like a dog yes i actually had one bark at me uh this year uh while i was up a tree and i was i was hoping to get him i was had my long or my recurve uh, in my hand up a tree, and uh, he come in on me, and he knew I was there, but he didn't know where I was at. And he he barked at me several times. He would go up the hill and then come back. He was, I don't know, uh, he, he he was confused or something other, but uh, yeah, he didn't like me being there. Yeah, I think that's what this was because it was before dark. I mean, before the sun came up, it was still dark. But the thing barked at me for like twenty thirty minutes, just yeah. like couldn't figure out what I was. Yeah. Yeah. I've been coyote hunting and had him do that before. Yeah. So, but anyway, back to, which kind of brings me back to the whole thing about adventure. Like, you know, do you think that's something that, that God just puts in certain men is that need for like, I feel like I have to go out there, even if it's scary or whatever, or, you know, it's, it's not easy. Like not a lot of guys would want to, you know, take off from work or take away from their family or whatever for a few days and do something that a lot of times is like, like I said, it's physically demanding. It can be a little creepy. Um, but still something inside of me like needs that, like, where do you think that comes from? I definitely think that God instills stuff like that into us. And that actually brings me to one of my very favorite verses, which is Genesis twenty one twenty, And it says, uh, and, um, but see, it goes, uh, and God was with the lad, and the lad dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Uh, I think that, <laughs> that fits me to a T, but uh, I definitely believe that uh, God put uh, you know, that into a lot of us. I don't think everybody has that, but uh, I think you know we're all individuals. He gave us all individual talents and desires, and, uh, uh, and that's, what, that's part of what makes uh, all of us well-rounded and different all at the same time so uh but yeah i actually believe that for sure man do you think you think being a believer has made you a better hunter or do you think being a hunter has made you a better believer uh it probably works together uh to be honest with you you know because when you're out in creation uh a revelation let's see actually it's romans 120 (laughs) yeah I can't uh, quote the verse, but, you know, pretty much uh, all of his creation, you know, uh, testifies of his existence, you know. And uh, so if you spend any time in the mountains or in his creation, you can't help but know that there is a God or a creator. 
you know, uh, we, we didn't we didn't happen by accident. And, uh, and I don't see how anybody could believe that. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, you know, God created us. Uh, there was an intelligent being that created us because um, when well, he, he created us to worship him and not his creation. You know, it all works together. So, and I think that's where a lot of hunters fall short is, uh, you know, they forget about God created everything and they worship the creation and not the God, you know, that created it. And then it's not supposed to be that way. Absolutely. I, I, I remember like feeling like exactly what you're saying, like people get so obsessed with the gift, they forget about the gift giver. It's like a kid on Christmas, you know, they're so obsessed with the toy. They forget that it's like, it's really the, the, you know, your dad who gave you the toy that is really the cool thing there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I believe that God, you know, give me the talent of, uh, you know, being able to be, you know, figure out these, you know, mountain bucks, you know, but I think that I, I think it's up to me to use that to, um, uh, further his kingdom by talking to other hunters and telling him about, you know, Jesus and, uh, you know, how he can, uh, you know, save us from, you know, our wicked ways, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I, I just think that, uh, uh, and, and I'm guilty as as anybody else, you know, I I have to have a reality check myself, you know, because I find myself, you know, uh, worshiping creation uh more than the creator sometimes you know you get you get caught up in the moment but you you know you, you've got to get your priorities straight and, and realize the order of everything so absolutely man and like back what you were saying too about just spending time in the woods and stuff i mean i think it must be easier for somebody who lives their whole life in a city to to jive with evolution because man if you see just if you up close see the intricacy of like an animal or even like the systems of creation, like it just, there's no way it happened on accident. Like there's just no way. Like, and even, um, I had a biology teacher in high school. He wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. He was just a, I'm saying he wasn't a believer. And he said, he said to us that believing evolution the way it is, is like a tornado going through a junkyard and assembling a, se- a Boeing 757 airplane that functions. <laughs> it's like, there's just, it just <laughs> it yep. doesn't work. No. Um, yeah, man. So I think the more people can get out there and really see up close God and nature, I mean, it's, it's hard to deny his existence, man. What do you think is like the number one lesson that God has taught you through nature? Uh, how humbling it can be, you know, um, we're, we're just humans and, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, you know, we, uh, we enjoy being out in the creation and, uh, uh, but it's just, you know, we're only so strong and, uh, um, we really have to lean on him for our strength and, uh, but I, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that we could go with this, but and I'm not very good at that. But uh, I don't know, you know, and just how small we are compared to all of His creation, you know, uh, and and that 
you know, yet how small we are in compared to just Earth or, you know, the um, space, you know, we are his uh, prized masterpiece that he's created, you know, I mean. No, even though we're so small in the grand scheme of things and like you said, it really makes you realize like, um, you know, the mountains, for example, like they've been there for thousands or millions or whatever years and they can take your life like that. You know, you're so small in comparison, but still like God cares infinitely about you. It's pretty amazing. That's right. Yep. Um, and what you're saying too, about just kind of relying on him, like I've talked about it before in this podcast, I think, but, um, you know, sometimes for me anyway, like I did this trip to Alaska last year and there were a couple of times when the weather had us just, I mean, there's nothing else to do, but just sit in your tent. Cause you couldn't see more than like 15 yards and it was raining. And, uh, and that's when, you know, your mind starts, why am I here? Why am I doing this? My family's at home. What am I doing? And I, I brought out my little, got it right over here. My little pocket new Testament with Psalms and Proverbs on it, man. And just being able to just go back into the Psalms and, and the gospels and just kind of lean back on God and, um, just gave me that little extra to, to keep my spirits up and keep pushing, you know? Oh yeah. 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 He, he's, he's always there. We just got to, uh, open our minds and our hearts to him and, uh, and talk to him. I mean, he, he wants a relationship with us just like we want a relationship with our own kids, you know? Mm-hmm. So and whenever that relationship is lacking, then, uh, you know, things aren't as smooth as what we would like for them to be. Sure, man. That's, yeah, that's so true. Um, well, I do want to shift gears a little bit, um, and get back on the deer hunting. Cause that's, that's another area of your expertise as we know here. Um, but you know, as I was going through, like I said, I wanted to kind of have a little bit of a unique conversation. Like there's a, fair number of podcasts out there with you and you really get into a lot of detail about killing big deer and um and you have some great information out there and i think people should go back and listen to those podcasts um but i was like man i want to i want to do something different you know so i kind of would like to approach it from for example like my perspective or or even from perspective of a new hunter or someone who someone who's just getting into or just getting into mountain hunting you know yeah, I would, you know, those type of people and maybe even myself included, we'd love to kill a, a monster on public land, you know, in, in the Appalachian Mountains. But realistically, you know, if we're coming out there for three, four day weekend or something and we don't have the mountains in our backyards to scout, you know, every every week or every other week, like um, the tactics are going to be a little different. Like, you know, a lot of guys would just like to get a legal buck or like a decent buck, you know what I mean? So I'd kind of love to to talk at it, talk to you about it from that kind of point of view of just like going out there and being successful on public land, maybe not. And we'll touch on the big buck stuff too, but just how to kill like a decent public deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, first thing you want to know is uh, if there's going to be acorns or not, you know, uh, acorns are the number one food source for whitetails in the mountains. You know, if there's no acorns, then, you know, uh, the deer have a hard time. There's just not that much to eat, you know, uh, from, say, November on. You know, through October, you still have a lot of leaves and browse and stuff for them to eat. And, uh, but no, if if I was just a a new hunter wanting to, uh, uh, just to kill a, a, just a decent 
size buck or a deer period you know because i definitely wouldn't recommend them you know uh, even trying to kill a two or three year old deer you know i would uh, i would just say you know go out there and kill whatever you can you know get close yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah uh, because, you know, deer numbers are low anyway on the uh, national forest or, uh, you know, most all uh, state property too, but any any public ground. But uh, I would want to find the acorns first, you know, and, and, and start looking for a heavy deer sign, you know, and, uh, and, and just hunt that, you know. Uh, do you have any success, much success with the, or do you think they eat the beech nuts a lot? Yeah, but they definitely do. I don't think that that's uh, uh, as high on their list as say acorns or not. But you know that, and that depends on where they're at too. You know, some areas you know may be more predominantly uh, uh, beech nuts versus uh, oaks and stuff. And and you know if if oaks didn't produce that year and beech nuts did, then that's what you would want to focus on. You know, so uh, whatever the hard mass crop is, that's what you would want to be focusing in on. Sure. And then, I mean, taking it even back one step further, you know, for example, I know a lot of guys who, who want to get into hunting and, you know, want to start and where I'm living here in Chesapeake, it is very hard to get on any private land and the public land is extremely limited. So, you know, I tell a lot of guys that I want to, I'm just kind of like, you know, there's tons of public land out in the Western part of the state, you know, go have yourself an adventure um, you might not kill one the first time, but just go for it. But for those guys, like even just going back to starting with like e-scouting, um, do you do a fair amount of e-scouting before you kind of go out into scouting area? Oh yeah. Uh, I've spent more time e-scouting than I do actually in the woods. Um, just because I like to look at, uh, you know, different areas. I'm always looking for new areas to go check out and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, seem like um, anywhere you have uh, private land that's close to uh, national forests, you know, like farms, uh, places like that, you know, the, the deer population in those type areas uh, on public is going to be higher than if you're back a, a way away from any kind of farm or ag type country, you know. So th those would be great places to look for because naturally you're going to have more deer, you know. And actually, one of my favorite spots that I'm hunting now. And actually, where I killed uh, that buck this year was uh, National Forest back in behind uh, uh, some private land, you know, some big private farms and stuff. So, uh, you know, that that would be definitely one thing that I would look for. Uh, that way, you you know, you would you'd be getting on the deer a lot quicker. Because now back in, you know, if you if you get, go back into a true mountain setting, you know, uh, several miles back away from any type of uh, farm country and stuff like that, you know, it's hard enough finding the big deer, but uh, it's also difficult to find, you know, uh, huntable concentrations of deer sometimes, you know, so that, that would be, um, very discouraging to a new hunter, you know, so, uh, you know, while you're out e-scouting or uh, on your phone on Onyx or whatever map app you have, you know, maybe look for areas where, you know, uh, the national forest is, is really close to, uh, farm fields and, and stuff like that. I think that would be a great idea. That's a good tip. Is there anything else you look for when you're e-scouting that really highlight an area for you? <clears throat> well, any any area that's going to be hard access, you know, um, steeper type terrain that borders flatter terrain, you know, uh, 
And the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the flatter spots looking for big bucks. Now, because if there's a big deer around there, he's going to, you know, and there's acorns there. Uh, he's going to uh, leave some big sign in those flatter areas. But now you're not going to catch him there during the daylight hours. You know, you, uh, from there, then you start moving back into the thicker and uh, steeper type areas. And that's, that's generally where you're going to find uh, where he's coming from, you know. And I know that sounds simple. And it's not that simple uh, because uh, he could be coming from several different directions. But, you know, you you just got to put boots on the ground and, and uh, cover a lot of ground and, and start piecing the puzzles or pieces, piecing the pu- pieces of the puzzles together, you know. Yeah. So a lot of guys, they'll see sign and they'll just kind of set up on it and then you don't see anything. So, like, let's say, you know you go into a new area like i this this year i'm the spot i was at i got onto a trail i went back about a mile mile and a half into a little creek bottom and i got off and i found a nice i mean it wasn't huge but a east facing slope and i found a big old scrape down there in the bottom of it and didn't have a lot of time so i just found a tree and sat there and it looked like a good spot but i didn't see anything so like what what would you do if you were me and you found that sign right there, would you, like, how would you, what would be your next step? There's some different things to think about there. You know, you, my, whenever you start wanting to kill a, a truly mature buck, you know, you, the reason a buck gets old and stuff is because, of course, he's avoided other hunters. Um, I'm going to try to explain this the best that I can. You have, deer that are uh, more uh, social and then you have deer that are not very social and what i mean by that is uh you know some deer are naturally very reclusive um and are by themselves you know most of the time and then you have other deer that uh you know are out and about in the daylight uh, moving around a lot and those deer are the ones that uh, generally get killed so the ones that are very reclusive, you know, are the ones that are, you know, living longer and, and you know, get to the age that's required to, you know, have the rack and body size of what we're, you know, looking for. So that it just makes common sense that if you're hunting that type of deer that, you know, he's not going to be in daylight hours where all the, the heavy sign is going to be, you know, he's going to be away from that. So. Um, um, you know, it, and it's just like uh, hunting uh, topography, you know, uh, in the mountains and stuff, you know, like saddles, um, benches, stuff like that. You know, it, it, it goes right back to what I was just talking about, you know, uh, deer that are more reclusive, which are the ones that are more likely to reach the age that we're looking for. Whenever they come through those spots, you know, they're not coming through them like uh, most other deer do. You know, and, uh, you know, most deer, they come through the path of least resistance, just like, you know, you've always heard all your life. And, um, but some of the most mature bucks that I've ever uh, seen, you know, they're not doing that. You know, they're, they're off to one side or the other. And most of the time it's, you know, the, uh, the downwind side of, uh, the saddle or the, the bench or whatever. So, you know, most hunters, they set up where they see most of the deer signs. So they're going to see um, two and three-year-old bucks. But 
you know, and that's the ones that they're probably going to kill. But the ones that they really want to kill are not coming through like those other deer. You know, they're off to one side or the other. So yeah. um, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, yeah. So th- that's the reason that I feel like that 90% of hunters don't kill the buck that they're hoping to kill is because they're not hunting where, you know, whenever he comes through that they can actually get a shot at him. You know, a lot of guys may see some really good deer like that, but they're not in position to take advantage of, you know, killing him whenever he actually comes through, you know, cause they're not set up, mm-hmm. set up to, t- you know, to kill him. So. Yeah. Um, and then just going back to the e-scouting thing, this might sound like a really dumb question, but can you, is there any way you can, like, do you know some way of telling from e-scouting if an area, like, can you tell anything about the vegetation from when you're looking on uh, aerial maps of like, like you can be like, oh, that's going to be so thick you can't walk through it. Or is it just kind of, you just got to get boots on the ground? Well, you know, nothing can replace boots on the ground. But yes, you know, a lot of satellite images, if uh, the image was taken, you know, during the uh, winter months, you know, uh, really thick rhododendron and uh, mountain laurel, uh, you know, stand out, uh, you know, big time on those type of maps. So uh, those are the type of images that I like to look at whenever I'm looking for cover. You know, and uh, I'll compare those with uh, topo maps, and uh, that gives me a good idea of, you know, where I want to, you know, go to. So Those areas that you're talking about will stand out kind of in green in the winter images when everything else is kind yeah. of brown? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I I I did something you said not to do is I went up a ridge and the first time I was ever out there hunting and then let it get dark, and then it took me, I think, about, half an hour to get down like just 500 feet because it was so thick i was just zigzagging back and forth down there yeah yeah (laughs) people don't realize how thick that stuff can get no and you know the areas that i usually hunt are you know 75 for 80 75 to 80 percent um mountain laurel and laurel or rhododendron you know there's there's not that much open uh areas in them so uh if you don't have a trail already cut through, you know, then um, uh, it can be really miserable, especially whenever you got a tree stand on your back or uh, packing a buck out or, you know, uh, you, can, you can get into some uh, pretty bad situations pretty quick. So, uh, but I, I don't really hunt uh, areas that I've never been into uh, very much. You know, I've, I always uh, scout them and, uh, and actually this time of the year is my favorite time to, uh, to do that. You know, I like to, scout and shed hunt and uh pretty much figure out where i want to be you know next fall and then throughout the summer i'll run trail cameras to kind of verify what is there you know so nice so are you uh, are you starting to shed hunt already oh yeah yeah well i've been once i found um, actually my second biggest shed i've ever found here in the state of virginia here just a week or so ago. yeah so uh, i'm looking forward to Finding out if that buck is still there, but you know we've got we've had snow on the ground for uh, most of the winter so far, and it, and that just makes for tough uh, uh, conditions to to shed hunt with. So, so going on to that, so you found you found that shed there. So, is that a new area you found the shed in? Yes, it is. Yeah. So at that point, yeah. are you just gonna say, okay, he? I know he's somewhere around here, and then do you start putting trail cameras up? How do you how do you go about that? 
Yeah, well, you know, I just cover the uh, uh, territory as much as possible, you know, in in every direction. And actually, that you know, there's some giant rubs in there that I found before I found the shed. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I just I just try to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, I think about where I, uh, you know, all the rubs are, where all the scrapes are that I found, and uh, now that I found that shed. You know, I feel like that he's probably the uh, one that's made those big rubs and stuff. And I just think about, you know, where um, all the thick hillsides are that uh, he could be bedding on. And I just start, you know, planning accordingly. You know, it's it's really a connect the dots kind of thing. And uh, once you figure all that out, then you start looking for a spot, you know, to that you can actually hunt him without him knowing that, you know, that he's being hunted, you know. so. Um, I know you say a lot that like, you know, those big old bucks are more reclusive and they kind of like to be off on their own and stuff like that. Do, do you feel like that the general deer population versus like the big old bucks bed in different types of terrain or are they both kind of like the similar type of bedding areas? No, I think that they both like similar bedding areas, but I think the difference between uh, uh, the general deer population and uh, these big mature bucks, you know, the general deer population will, you know, they don't mind to uh, to bed open in uh, bed in wide open timber, you know, and but the reason is is because you know there's you know five or six deer in one group, and if you ever, you know, during the snow and stuff, come upon deer beds and there's several deer beds there, you know, they're all pointing in different directions. And uh, and the reason is, is, you know, there's more eyes and ears to spot and smell and hear danger for me, you know, whereas the buck, he's going to be a lot more strategic in where he's bedding uh, because, you know, it's just him. So he's going to take more advantage of uh, thermals and wind direction. And, uh, you know, and if he's able to see, you know, so uh, he's going to be a lot more strategic, even though he's, you know, that they could, you know be bedding in the same general area but he's going to be more strategic as to where he's at exactly in that area yeah okay so you know if going back to if i was a new guy looking to go out there and and just do some hunting didn't know much i'm going to be e-scouting looking for some pieces that back up to some ag and then finding some steep nasty stuff and kind of get between those two huh yeah, yeah, that'd be a good plan, you know. I, you know, if I was just wanting to kill a deer, I wouldn't be. Wor- I would be hunting, you know, very obvious uh, funnels, uh, you know, like saddles, uh, stuff like that. You know, uh, connecting, uh, um, you know, some good bedding cover to, uh, you know, a white oak flat or a red oak flat, or you know, maybe uh, some uh, ag fields or something other like that. You know, but uh, you know, it's it's just a little bit different process whenever you're trying to uh, key in on the older age class bucks. Yeah, for sure, man. Do you ever do any hunting on, uh, any wildlife management areas? I know we got a couple of pretty decent ones in Virginia or do you stick to national forest? Uh, lately in the past several years, just national forest. And, and it's not because that, uh, um, it, you know, I, I choose national forest over uh, wildlife management areas because there are some good management or wildlife management areas around. It's just that's where I'm just at at the moment, you know. Yeah. So um, th- th- there's n- no reason to choose one over the other. Now, you know, generally, National Forest is a lot bigger than state land. 
But, uh, yeah. you know, that's a couple of state lands that's right here in my back door that are huge, you know, and I've hunted them in years past, but I'm, that's just not where I'm at right now. No, I hear you. Um, and I know you, you talk about, um, I guess your, your daughter's real into horseback, uh, ride and stuff like that. And you do some scouting as you guys are, uh, you know, on the equestrian trails. Do you use like the hiking trail systems to get into areas and stuff like that? Or do you try to avoid those hiking trails? No, I, uh, I, I use, uh, hiking trails. You know, some areas I have or that I hunt have hiking trails and equestrian trails and other areas that I hunt have, you know, don't. You know, maybe some logging roads or something other, but uh, yeah, that you know they they make access easier for me and everybody else. But to be honest with you, that uh, I'm not seeing very many people uh, hunting national forest now. You yeah. know, not like back in the uh, '80s and '90s. You know, um, you know back in the '80s and '90s, if if there was a wide spot along the road, there was a truck park there, and and most likely a camper there. You know, so uh, uh, if you didn't beat the guy there uh, to that parking spot, then you probably was going to look for something else. And But now you can ride for, you know, maybe all day and see a handful of vehicles parked anywhere. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, hunter pressure is not a, a issue for me. So, uh, you know, I really don't worry about, you know, using hiking trails because of their easy access, you know, so that doesn't bother me. Now, if I was out in the Midwest or somewhere like that, you know, where hunter numbers were a lot more, then I would probably avoid, uh, you know, easier spots like that that everybody's going to hit. But uh, that's not the case here at the moment anyway. Yeah, I found something similar. It's very easy to get away uh, from people and um, and have kind of a wilderness experience uh, right in your backyard, you know. Do you do anything to stay in, stay in mountain shape or is it just kind of – throw on a pack and just get in the mountains or, you know, what is that like for you? Yeah, no, uh, I don't do anything other than just, you know, stay in the mountains as much as I can. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't. <laughs> and, uh, I would like to, but, uh, and I guess if I, I worked real hard at it that I could make room for it, but, you know, just between work and, and, uh, uh, priorities and, and family and stuff like that, it's, it's really hard to, uh, uh, you know, not only spend as much time in the mountains as I can, but also add some kind of a workout routine in there too. So, well, you guys that live in the mountains are lucky because you know I'm a flatlander and I gotta get real creative in the gym to train for the mountains. But I mean, you guys can just you know throw a backpack on, get some trail cameras, and do your scouting and your fitness all in one, man. Oh yeah, and you know I'm I'm in really good shape for my age. I'm. I'm 47, but I'm only 5'8 and around 160, 165 pounds. So, you know, nice. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been, you know, a smaller like guy, uh, my whole life, but, uh, you know, there's advantages to that. I get around in the mountains really, really well. So. Yeah, man. I'm sure it doesn't, doesn't hurt being born and raised, you know, trudging through the mountains too. That's right. Yeah. I'm slower than I used to be, but I, I can still get there. So I bet you can, man. Um, <clears throat> did I did I hear you were uh, starting to get into the filming side of things? Are you are you starting that? Well, uh, since I gotten with uh, Whitetail Addictions or uh, Long Wolf uh, Custom Gear, you know that was that was one of the things that they were wanting their uh, staffers to do. But 
man, I don't know. I, I just don't think that I'm cut out for uh, self Um It adds a whole yeah. other layer of complexity. It, it is. And, and whenever you're toting a, a, a traditional bow most of the time and hunting uh, uh, low deer density type areas in the type of terrain and packing all that gear, you know, uh, one or two hours back in those uh, type of places, you know, it, it's a lot to, uh, to do, you know, and, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I have been filming some stuff, you know, now whether I put it together with anything or not, I don't know. So don't, uh, don't hold me to anything like that. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that, uh, with, the popularity of these podcasts and um, uh, stuff like that over the past two or three years, especially, you know, uh, guys really interested in learning about, you know, hunting whitetails in the mountains and stuff. Just because we talk about it, uh, it's really hard, especially for me, because I'm not very good at describing things. I'm more of a draw a picture kind of guy, you know, to show you. Uh, but you know, a lot of guys are like me that, uh, in that, uh, aspect and, and they're more of a visual learner. So I don't know. I've, I've got a lot of people, uh, really wanting me to either go scouting with them or, uh, take them scouting with me to show them, you know, my perspective, uh, of how I see things. So I don't know. I've been throwing around the idea of maybe doing a little bit of YouTube scouting type stuff. You know, but uh, I think that would help a lot of guys. It, I know it would help me because I can show you way better than I can tell you, you know. Yeah, so. absolutely. And even like, you know, w- what I kind of learned getting into this um, from, you know, not growing up in the mountains is like, you know, a lot of these, they'll throw around like, oh, you get on this bench and then you take this saddle. And people are like, what? I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, um, People hear me talk about, you know, not hunting open uh, timber, not hunting the uh, right directly on the bench and stuff. And uh, actually, the day that I found that shed, I was out scouting, and I come onto this beautiful bench, you know, and uh, and there was a tree stand there. And, you know, that, I see that all the time, you know, these tree stands in these really pretty open woods to where you can see 100 yards or so. And. And, you know, you, there's some bucks on there, and obviously that's why they put the stand up. But, um, you know, I'm I'm not going to say that you could never kill a big deer in a spot like that because obviously it happens from time to time. But uh, if you want to be consistent, you know, on killing big deer, you, you can't be hunting spots like that. And I actually videoed that. You know, I videoed I saw it. that on your story. Yeah, and I got such a good... Um, response from that from guys you know that they they were really glad that i've done that because that actually showed them uh, what i what i you know talk about and stuff so uh that's kind of uh helped me make the the decision to maybe you know start filming more stuff like that and you know have more of a visual on it than just talking about it yeah i think that'd be super helpful for a lot of guys for sure and it's so easy when you know I've been in areas like that. They just, you can see, you're like, I can see if a deer moves through here, I can see, but it's, and it's like hard when you get into those thick areas where, you know, the bigger bucks probably are, but it's like, I don't even know how I'm going to hunt this, you know? 
Yeah. So do you, what do you try to get like on the edge of that where it's like unhuntably thick and like too open? Do you try to get kind of on the edge so where you have some visibility, but you still can be near the thick stuff or what? Yeah. Well, it just depends on how dense the cover is. You know, uh, if it's really, really thick uh, to where it's really hard to walk through, then, you know, obviously the deer don't want to walk through it either. You know, so they're going to stick to the uh, edges of it. And, you know, deer, uh, they like edge type habitat anyway. So it just makes sense, you know, to to hunt those type of spots. But now if it's like, you know, rhododendron, that I'm going to hunt the edge of that. Uh, if it's mountain laurel, I'm going to be back in that because, you know, uh, it's it's really good cover, but it's generally not so thick that you can't get through it and the deer can't get through it. So they spend a lot of time back in it, you know. And uh, if you, you know, couple those two things with, um, uh, you know, steep hillsides and stuff, whenever you, know, you, you have thick cover like that on a steep hillside, that, that's where the big deer are going to be, you know. Uh, that's the only place that they can travel and move around very much looking for does and not get killed. You know, uh, if they walk, if, if they walked across these pretty open flat areas all the time, then you would never have any big deer to hunt. They'd all be dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, are, are you hunting a hundred percent of the time in a tree? Do you ever hunt in the ground? Uh, if I'm bow hunting, I'm always up a tree. Uh, well, well, I say 90% of the time, 90, well, probably 95 to 98% of the time I'm up a tree. If I'm uh, black powder hunting or rifle hunting, which I do enjoy doing some, um, I do hunt uh, probably 50-50. You know, I'll hunt off the ground some, and I'll hunt, also hunt out of the tree. Um, so. Do you ever do any, like, uh, I know it's kind of hard in our part of the woods, but st- spot and stalk or, like, tracking-style hunting when there's snow in the ground? Uh, years ago, I did. I haven't in recent years, but... Uh, yeah, I love uh, cutting a big set of tracks and, uh, uh, you know, uh, tracking them down and, and trying to kill him. Uh, that is very, very tough to do, you know, and, and back whenever I done that was back in the uh, 90s. <clears throat> and I was reading a lot of articles on the Benoits up in Maine and Vermont, you know, then. And that that's what made me want to do that. And I actually got up on a few bucks doing that, but I was never successful at killing them, you know, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a blast. Yeah. I never tried it, but it seems cool. Well, I've done it once, but yeah, it's, it's very tough when you're talking about walking hour or two back into your stand. Do you have any secrets for like not being just drenched with sweat when you get to your stand or is just start cold? Well, I definitely start cold and underdressed, but (laughs) you know, just, the physique that I have, I, I don't sweat like, you know, a, a lot of other guys do. Um, you know, I can, I'm sure that guys that are, you know, have a lot more fat on them than what I do would definitely sweat a whole lot easier. But, you know, I, I generally walk in with a thin pair of pants on and either a t-shirt or a long sleeve shirt, depending on the, the temperature. But if I start getting the least little bit hot, I stop, you know, I don't, I don't keep going. Because I would rather get to wherever I'm going late than to get there drenched in uh, sweat. And, you know, you're going to freeze then and you're going to sink then. So, you know, you're better better off getting there late uh, in good shape than on time or before on time and 
you know, cold and you're not going to last very long that way anyway. Yeah. Um, Do you like getting into your stand? Like I have this personal thing. Like I, I, I need to be in my stand like one hour before official sunrise. Do you have a time you like to get in there? No, a lot of times it depends on where I'm hunting too, you know, but I'm, I, I'm never that early, you know, generally, uh, I'm set up and ready to go about the time a shooting light happens, you know, and, uh, but you know, if, if I'm, if I'm hunting a spot that I'm afraid that a buck is going to be, uh, bedded before I uh, would get there, then by all means, I would want to be there before that happens, you know, uh, but, uh, I'm generally not hunting a spot like that you know i'm hunting more around the edge of where he's going to, where i feel like he's going to be bedded so you know I'm, I'm waiting on him to come out from his bed or on his way to his bed than his actual bed cool man um i think you i heard you say one time too that because i always used to carry a pee bottle with me yeah you do you do that or you just let it fly no not anymore i I had a big buck in West Virginia break me of that. Um, but yeah, you know, I grew up, you know, peeing in a bottle and, uh, uh, because we was always afraid, you know, we were very think conscious, even whenever I first started hunting, you know, of, uh, didn't want to spook the deer and stuff. And, uh, so we always peed in a bottle and, uh, but there was one particular, uh, time I was over in West Virginia, I was hunting a few different bucks and, uh, it was midday and I didn't have a pee bottle and, uh, I wasn't wanting to get down, but I thought, well, I, ne- I just need to get on down and go pee away from the stand and get right back up. Well, I got about 10 yards from the tree and uh, keep in mind, I just left my bow up the tree Ooh. and, uh, and I heard something coming and I knew what it was. <laughs> and, uh, so I had to sit there and watch this big buck come by me and like, 10 yards work a scrape and then go on off the ridge and mm. uh so here i am kicking myself in the butt for uh that happening so i i did i still hadn't peed i went up the tree and grabbed my bow uh and uh, my grunt call i was hoping that i could grunt maybe he would come back that and that didn't happen and uh but ever since that day i've just been peeing out of the tree and I have had zero uh, negative consequences of doing that. But uh, there is a, that buck actually ended up coming back up that ridge that evening, and I killed him. So Oh, nice. It, it went from an extreme low that day to an extreme high. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I, I, I literally stopped using a pee bottle this year because I was like, all right, if this dude's killing these big mountain deer and he's letting it fly, I think I'm all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually, in another instance, uh, I had a buck stop and and was smelling of where I had peed out of the tree, and I put an arrow to him right there. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, you know, I, and whenever I come across the scrape, you know, I'll pee in the scrape, you know, especially if i got a trail camera there, and uh, mm. bucks will come in and, and tear the scrape up after you feed it. So. Interesting. Well, this has been good, man. Um, if you could, if you had to just boil, boil it down into like one overarching thing, like as, as far as killing mountain deer, if you could, what would it be? Well, I think a lot of guys can kill just mountain deer. 
but not very few are consistent at killing uh, older age class bucks in the mountains. So I, I would want to try to help those guys. Um, <clears throat> it's realize that you're hunting a, a different creature. So uh, don't hunt um, deer and expect to kill or consistently kill older age class bucks because you're not going to do it on a consistent basis. You've got to realize that you're hunting a different animal and uh, and tailor your tactics to that. And, uh, you know, those older age class bucks, they're, they're very reclusive. So, uh, you know, stop setting up on the uh, really heavily used trails and set up on the more lightly used stuff, which is generally going to be in the steeper and thicker type areas. And once you start doing that, uh, I feel like that you're going to start uh, having more encounters with those those animals, and um, <clears throat> and you're actually going to start killing more of what you uh, more of them than of the ones that you see. I should say, you know, I I would venture to say that you know, eighty percent of the uh, encounters that I have with a, a mature buck, I kill him. You know, and so, you know, and then that's because I'm not setting up to kill deer. I'm setting up to uh, uh, kill a mature animal, you know. So I think a lot of guys see, you know, older age class bucks, you know, especially during the rut or something other, but don't necessarily, but I'd, you know, I'd venture to say that only, you know, 10 to 20% of the time that they ever kill them, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that your setup is, is the difference between consistently killing them versus them. So. That's good stuff. I know there's like, like I said, there's tons of cool podcasts where you go into more detail about that. Um, but is there anything else that, you know, I kind of didn't touch on that you might want to mention? Not that I can think of, you know, uh, aside from deer hunting, you know, just, uh, uh, remember who created this place and worship him instead of the creation, you know, and, uh, just know that, uh, there's a creator out there that, uh, uh, that loves you and uh, there's a way out from uh, this sinful world you know you don't you don't have to uh, I don't want to be a hell preacher or anything like that but you know there's a heaven and there's a hell buddy oh yeah and you know and you're there for eternity so you know just think about that and know that there's a way to uh, get to heaven and there's only one way and that is through Jesus so that's right, man. And it's our responsibility to let people know the, the truth, uh, you know, about that. And, uh, yeah. if we believe it, we got to live and act accordingly. Like it's like, it's real, you know, that's right. And the thing is, is not believing it does not exempt you from it. You know, right. so just because you don't believe it doesn't make, make it unreal or uh, not exist because, uh, that's just not the case for sure, man. Well, that's great, man. It's been great talking to you, and um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe sometime we can link up. I know you know we're only probably a couple hours away from each other, so maybe if I'm out there in the mountains sometime, I can look you up. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you're down this way, give me a shout. We'll do something. All right, cool, man. It was great talking to you, Nathan, and uh, appreciate your time. And um, yeah, stick around for the the next episode, guys. Thanks again for listening to Hunter's Quest Podcast. 
And make sure you stay up to date on Instagram at huntersquest underscore with pictures and videos from the stories we tell here and just my day-to-day, as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're going to be having on here. I'm also more than happy to answer any questions you guys might have, whether it's about hunting or spiritual stuff or fitness or gear. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to stay on this journey with me, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. It helps me out big time. So yeah, shoot me a message anytime, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you and continuing this quest together.